Hello, and welcome to The Staffing Show, the only podcast that delivers tools, tips, and tactics from the staffing and recruiting industry's top executives and thought leaders. This episode is brought to you by Staffing Referrals, the only automated referral management platform chosen by smart staffing firms. Tired of wasting money on traditional job boards? Sick of reminding recruiters about promoting your referral program? Wish you could eliminate admin work spent tracking referrals and scheduling interviews? That's where Staffing Referrals comes in. Imagine transforming your entire talent pool into digital recruiters on behalf of your company. Think about how happy you'll make your team by eliminating wasted time spent tracking referrals and scheduling interviews. There's a reason that Staffing Referrals is one of the fastest growing software platforms in our industry. It's because staffing executives want to scale faster by automating recruiting processes. It's because with staffing referrals, you can actually see an ROI. And it's because our world is now more digital than ever, and your candidates expect you to keep up. Don't get passed by the competition. Stop missing referrals and start recruiting smarter. Get staffing referrals and improve your tech stack today. To claim one free month, visit www.staffingreferrals.com slash show. That's staffingreferrals.com slash show. I'm here with Lauren Jones today, the founder of Leap Consulting, a former VP of Talent and Technology at Bolt Staffing, and a longtime staffing industry expert. Uh, super excited to have you today here today, Lauren. Um, very, very good to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Okay. So uh, to start off, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about kind of your background in staffing? I know you've got quite the interesting story, over 20 years of experience. Uh, so let's let's start there. Yeah. So I have been in the industry for 22 years. I've spent the last eight years completely and totally immersed in HR tech. I started out as a temp um, 22 years ago. I grew up with a real Southern meemaw who, uh, once I came fresh out of college, she said, you know what you should do? You should go be a Kelly girl. And so I did. I signed (laughs) up Kelly girl. And... um, and the rest is history. I, I mean, I, I, I was a musician. Uh, that's my education and my uh, music and language is my education and my background. Um, I was a professional musician for years and years before I got a real job. And, uh, but I fell in love with um, this industry and it's, it had me hook, line, and sinker. And then when you brought in technology um, to sort of change the landscape, I mean, I, I just... I started forming really strong opinions because I've always felt like this industry, we are a $160 billion middleman industry and we, we stake our claim on relationships. And so if um, we're going to be the relationship people, I want to make sure we continue to honor that, but also leverage technology so that we can continue to advance. Uh, this is fantastic. And, and so why don't you tell me a little bit about how Leap Consulting is helping and kind of fits into the staffing industry and what you're doing with Leap. Yes. So I saw three areas of opportunity, both in large and small uh, uh 
agencies and, and really the way that we're consuming technology. First was just the abundance or overabundance of technology because there's good and there's bad and there's connected and integrated and not connected and integrated. And really just helping, especially the small to mid-sized firms who aren't going to have a VP of digital transformation or VP of talent technology, um, really helping them uh, wade their way through the muck that is all of the HR tech that's out there. The second opportunity that I saw was ensuring that we didn't have waste, um, meaning you're buying for the short and the long term. You know, there's no transformation without integration and road mapping alignment is profoundly important to ensuring that you realize the ROI of every tool. And then thirdly, it drives me bananas when agencies invest millions of dollars in all of this technology and put one press release out and they're like, ta-da, does the whole world know we're changed? <laughs> and, and so, you know, there's three areas of opportunity where, where I can support um, agencies and, and that's what my firm does. And you have any specific um, stories, use cases, case uh, studies, or have an example of um, who you've worked with or what you know what you've accomplished? Maybe that kind of give, you know outlines in a more specific story. Um, I mean, well, I, I also that you could share. I should say. Yeah, I know. I I sign mutual MDAs with everybody, so um, I'm a little guarded with with what uh, I can talk about, but um, I've created some really great stacks, um, and I'm in the process of um, building a beautiful stack for one agency that's really, really high volume, and they had really sort of overlooked at technology, not, uh, I, and I mean, over demoed over like looked at so much technology that it was really hard to narrow down where the overlaps of the technology were uh, was and um now I've gotten in, got my hands in, looked at every single detail of the contract, um where the technologies overlap, how they fit, and now we have uh, I think one of the biggest barriers to success is that you don't get those vendors talking early. Um, and then mm-hmm. you, you you find out later that, oh, well, since had texting, why did I buy text us? Or, you know, why did I do this? Or why did I do that? Um, or a portal of record between work and an employee stream. And now we're creating these great integrations and relationships outside of the ETS and getting, uh, getting tools to talk to one another uh, uh, sooner rather than later uh, before you know it's a problem in implementation. And so uh, one of my really early successes um, is getting the, the technologies to talk early so that we don't have delay in the implementation and go live later. So had they not brought me in to come and sort of organize all of this, find out where all the overlap was, we would have had significant delays. And, you know, I, just from uh, you know, my perspective, looking at, uh, we've got a couple of things going on. You've got, you know, lead consultancy, you've got the Go Leadership Law, you have your uh, Tech Tuesdays, uh, you've got uh, a lot of great content going out. And I think, from uh, the way I see it, you, you have one of the better perspectives on what's going on with all of the different technology compared to what, you know, if you're internal at a staffing firm, you go out and get a bunch of demos. Basically, they're being sold by a few people. You know, they're not, they kind of have limited uh, amount of time and uh, resources that they can put towards it. 
but I, I think from what I understand of you know just having conversations with you, you have a very very good uh, idea of all of the different technologies and how they fit in together. So it's, it's awesome to uh, see that you're out there helping staffing firms kind of move forward in a meaningful way. Like a thousand piece puzzle that you put together on vacation, right? You know, and, and how does it all fit together and how, how do we maintain the candidate experience? And likewise, how do we ensure adoption? Because I think one of the things that drives me um, crazy is, is spending all of this money and then gaining no adoption on the tools. Um, and, and so, you know, I've had really good success with adoption and it's not only through, um, buying the right tools and ensuring that they're integrated appropriately and all of that, but, you know, evangelizing it internally, you know, doing a coat of paint from a marketing perspective on who you're going to partner with and getting your recruiters and salespeople and executives excited about what's to come, involving them in that is a really powerful way to gain adoption early on. And you have to start that at the same time that you're um, sort of road mapping all of your implementation Mm-hmm. If you start that early and often, when you go live, you're already going to have buy-in. Yeah, that's actually what I was going to ask. As you were talking about that, adoption is something that uh, I've watched lots of staffing firms just go out and buy. You know, they get excited about products, new shiny tool, they buy it, uh, no plan for implementation. And there, you know, there's some software that, that can fly with, but very limited. Um, but I, in terms of, do you have a process or any uh, tips that you would you are valuable that you'd like to share with staffing firms in terms of making sure that the adoption is, you know, that the product is adopted successfully? Yeah. Um, first, it's um, one of the best tips I'll, I'll give anybody for free is have a town hall. Like have an open discussion with your teams, um, really get their perspective because even just doing that, even if if you know, as a buyer, as an owner, as a leader, even if you know what the problems are, what the business process problems are, having a town hall and getting everybody engaged in, um, really talking about what the, the, you know, impediments to success are, uh, in that one action, you're making them a part of the solution. So when you do bring something forward and say, hey, this is what we've found to answer, you know, some of the issues that we've got out there, they're already bought in because they got to discuss what, you know, what some of their barriers um, to success were. And so the, the one, if you can have your, your town hall, and then uh, you cre- in that at one action, you create your early internal evangelist. When you have an early, uh, somebody that's really excited about, you know, a feature that you're bringing in, you, you really want to capitalize on that and leverage that individual, you know, as a part of the implementation process. And, you know, they may be a recruiter, they may be a manager, but if you have somebody that's wildly passionate about a new feature that you're bringing in, I say you leverage it. Give them the opportunity to... to um, help you gain adoption. Um, I, I, I'd say, you know, there's so much listening that needs to happen when we're solving for some of these technical um, issues. And, and sometimes we just don't listen. Um, we think we know the answers. Um, and just the, the, the one action of, of in, in involvement and listening can be truly powerful, uh, make the truly powerful difference in adoption. Uh, that is a great tip and also something I've seen skipped many of times uh, where sometimes it's the, uh, the CEO only brings in the software without talking to, uh, actually, I feel like I see that a lot on the ACS front where it's just like, 
hey, we're we're going all in on this new ATS, and we've talked to none of none of the recruiters have, have been engaged in the process. I'm like, well, you know, may, maybe that works, but I, I might might go about it a different way. Um, one other thing that uh, good. No, it's it's a spine balance, right? You don't want to take it out to committee, right? Because then yeah. that just slows the process down. But how can you identify through a sort of town hall conversation, you know, or you know, mega Zoom? How how can you yeah, can that. you how can you leverage um, individuals that come forward with great ideas? Um, you know, it's got to be a balance uh, of of you know committee versus action. Absolutely. One, one thing that I've, uh, just from our, uh, our experience with staffing referrals, we've seen that, uh, um, some firms, and I actually, I thought this was a great idea four years ago when we first launched was, you know, it comes to be like, oh, well, we want to, we're, we're, and consistently they would say, we're going to take, uh, this new software and we're going to put it with our top five recruiters out of our, you know, top hundred, out of our hundred recruiters, we're going to pick our top five and they're going to be the ones. Um, and where to your point on the town hall and identifying who will evangelize the software or who will adopt it, it is frequently not the top uh, producers. The top producers from our experience often already have, they've got their process built out. They know exactly how they do things. They don't need something new. They're hitting quota. Uh, and so sometimes it can be, um, and I, I think this is probably different with any type of product depends on what you're implementing. But I think, uh, uh, letting people raise their hand on if they're excited about it and giving it to people who are excited about it might be a, a better approach there as well. So it's, it's great advice. So um, shifting gears a little bit. Uh, so on the, I mean, I know you've got, you're doing a lot with the digital transformation, really helping kind of staffing firms adapt and, uh, you know, come into their own with the digital transformation, which um, I, I saw a thing, and this is a little bit of a segue, but I saw a thing, it was on Reddit and actually uh, posted a little quiz on uh, uh, LinkedIn because who, who drove the digital uh, transformation at your organization, the CEO, CMO, or COVID-19? <laughs> and I'm like, well, I think we're all uh, rapidly moving forward uh, towards digital and being that, the importance of that. But um, why don't you tell me a little bit of, of kind of how, you know, some trends that you see uh, happening with the digital transformation or kind of what you see is uh, kind of what's going to play out next in staffing. Yeah. Um, so some of the trends that I'm seeing, I mean, obviously COVID-19 has had a, a big impact on our industry. And I, I, I was just talking to um, an executive earlier this morning who on their first day showed up and they had a desktop and, um, you know, they kind of said, Where, where's my laptop? And they're like, well, we don't believe in laptops. And, you know, it, it's, like, you know, they believed in brick and mortar. And, and now, you know, the whole world is, is now remote. So there's been some forced change that I think is, is wonderful for our industry because it's forced us to look at things through a different lens. First of all, we can do our jobs from anywhere. And I think we've proven that. I mean, we've done so much pivoting. And um, I think we're seeing now more than ever that people, uh, candidates want control. Um, and I think on demand, you know, the, the work-ins, the work llamas um, of the world, there's, there's so much opportunity there to balance out your business um, through, you know, your high margin, high touch, white glove service, but then also have um, this experiential choice for whatever generation you're trying to attract. 
through on-demand platforms. Um, I think that that is really going to make an impact in our world. Now, I have the opportunity of sitting, or I have the benefit of sitting right next to the Silicon Valley and seeing the Winolos and the Blue Crew Jobs and the Stellas of the world sort of compete with us and see their success. But I also see where the significant value of us being the relationship people is something that they just don't have and won't have. And where if we are not afraid of the technology and leveraging the on-demand, that we can capitalize that and, and really, um, really diversify our book of business and add this element of flexibility that um, I think is really powerful. I mean, and employees want flexibility. Um, they want control. Uh, it, you know, I, I think the agencies that provide those experiential choices, whether it's text now, work now, chat now, however uh, a candidate wants to engage with your brand, that flexibility and adaptability uh, and options or experiential choices, as I call it, is what's going to make the difference. Those are the things that I'm seeing are candidates that want control. They, they want to work for a brand. Um, and, you know, the Gen Zs, I was just talking uh, with, I think Adam and I were uh, uh, talking about um, candidates that the Gen Zs that want a one-on-one -on -one conversation as opposed to our millennials who like the chat, like something a little bit more um, removed. Um, but our, our younger generation of workers that are coming in, they, they want a handshake or, you know, they want a conversation. So how do we adapt? So how do we not put the pendulum so far to automation where we dehumanize the whole process. We have to honor every generation that we want to engage with. And, and that to me is, is where, you know, I want to focus my energy as far as helping firms um, adapt to that need and the, and the generational diversity that we have um, that is seeking work right now. Yeah. And I, I mean, I from agree with what you're saying. It seems like there's a bit of big, and I think this will continue, but a, a big shift to the, the need for multi-channel communication, making sure it's on the candidate's uh, terms and how they, somebody wants to talk to you over text, talk to them over text. If they want, if they want to call, get on the phone and talk to them. You know, and that's where I think uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of firms are trying to force things down the path that's easiest for them with maybe not looking at the candidate experience in mind. Uh, but I'm also curious to just to see where, and I, and I don't have an answer here or even, I, I think about this a lot, but I've, wonder how far things will go and you do have companies like blue crew and others that are betting on kind of like this is you know they're comparing this i think to the travel industry where they're saying all right yeah you had travel agencies and now you've got it you know expedia kayak and you know when's the last time you talked to somebody to book a hotel um which i, I think is a very different thing it's your career it's a job if somebody's going to show up 40 hours a week or more uh, but I'm, I'm curious to see where do you see, you know, three years from now, five years from now, what do you think the recruiter candidate relationship looks like? Wow. That's a, that's a big <laughs> one. <laughs> well, I, you know, the, look, the best thing you can have in your pocket when you're looking for a job is a great relationship with a recruiter, uh, right? I mean, I mean, we have to remember that looking for a job sucks. It sucks. There's no other yeah. way you are out of work. You are essentially 
looking to strangers for acceptance. You are saying on this piece of paper right here are some of the things that I think I'm really good at and some of the things that I'm done uh, or I have done. You know, will you accept me now? <laughs> and, and it's such a vulnerable, emotional place to be. And I think we have to remember that regardless of the technology that's in front of us, it, it's still a really vulnerable position for a person. It's a person, a human being to be in. That's not going to change in three to five years. And yeah. so I still think that the powerful connection and relationship that you can create through recruiter partnerships um, are, are, are going to um, remain steadfast. Now, um, I think that technology will help us do more with less, right? Because businesses are coming to us saying, we want this, we want this, we want it all for cheaper and we want it better and faster. <laughs> and so yeah. how are we going to adapt to the client need and ensure that we nurture the relationship? I think that's where the focus needs to be because these are still human beings. That's not going to change. Um, these are still relationships that we need to honor. That's not going to change. But how do we have a technology that allows us to do more and sometimes with less. Yeah. I, I, uh, I think you hit the nail on the head with uh, the relationship side of it. Still, that's not going away. People know people and it's that uh, uh, anything that on the automation side or the technology side that allows people to focus more on the relationship feels like the, the right approach to where, where things are going in the, in the long run here. Um, so, Continuing on, what, and this is going to shift a little bit here, it's still tied to digital transformation, but are you seeing anything unique? Um, I know sourcing right now is maybe not as top of mind as everybody's kind of shifted to trying to find clients. And so maybe we've actually brought in the question here, but uh, anything unique um, that you're seeing from staffing firms that uh, is helping them uh, do a better job when it comes to sourcing and or finding new clients or new job orders? Um, you know, I just put together a, um, a, a <laughs> typically it's a little out of my, my offerings. <laughs> um, but I, I just couldn't say no to the executive that asked me to put together a, a social selling campaign. Um, I, I am, I'm really good at it. And so she said, <laughs> she said, oh, you know, could you, <laughs> <laughs> she said, could you put together, you know, a strategy, um, for a social selling campaign and agencies who are, grounding their salespeople um, and teaching them how to leverage the power of the internet through LinkedIn or what have you, they're having extremely good results. And um, as a matter of fact, where we built the social selling campaign, the, the most grown region through this pandemic. Um, and, and so I think agencies that are sort of, you know, not necessarily pivoting, but adapting to uh, not being able to be right in front of the customer and learning how to socially sell, how to find relevant content, how to um, leverage LinkedIn in a way that is, is really powerful and meaningful. That's where I'm seeing um, agencies uh, still have great sales success during this time is through learning how to social sell because you know, you've got your traditional agency salespeople who are used to knocking on doors, cold calling, you know, going through a 13-week campaign, blah-de-blah, -blah, um, you know, and handing out their little tchotchkes or what have you. You can't do that now. 
So the the agencies that are adapting to that and figuring out how to social sell, um, we've had some really powerful results. And and yeah, it's out of out of my tech stack realm, but this was an executive I couldn't say no to. And uh, so we put together a, a little campaign, and um, you know, from a consulting perspective, it worked out um, beautifully. So that's where I'm seeing some really ad- uh, really great adaptation happening, and being extremely cognizant of where the opportunity is. So think think about the Grubhubs and the Postmates and the, my youngest daughter is 19 and she signed up with Postmates and it was, it was like she got on her, her little phone and she's like, I'm a Postmates employee now. And I'm like, what, what, what huh? There was no interview. There was no screening. I'm like, they just hired you. Like you have no job experience, you know? And so I'm thinking to myself as an agency, what an amazing sales opportunity you might have to go to the Postmates of the world and say, let us help you upskill people so that rather than getting asparagus when you ordered celery, you know, you, you get the right product, um, a little quality in hiring, you know, not that my daughter's (laughs) not a quality person, but I was like, wait a minute, (laughs) they handed you a credit card. What? Um, so it's, I think that there's tremendous opportunity for agencies to really look at where there's opportunity and pursue that in a way that is helpful, uh, to getting, individuals jobs and elevating the quality of service that we as consumers are getting i think that's absolutely great and uh i don't know if there's anybody that i would recommend more on the social selling front you uh <laughs> just watching your i love i love your linkedin so oh, i, I think we've got our whole team our whole team following your linkedin watching your videos so uh, i'm giving a high, high level of recommendation on that front um so what uh we have a lot of listeners who are newer to the staffing industry. Now, a lot of times I talk to people and they're a first year in or like three years into in an executive role trying to figure out what, uh, what they, uh, you know, the kind of the lay of the land. Um, are there any uh, tips, uh, ideas, things that you wish you knew uh, coming into the staffing industry? Things that you wish you knew either before, so you've been in it for a bit, so say before it would be, uh, uh, but things that you wish you, you, you know, early stage staffing industry, what, what knowledge do you wish you had or resources? Oh man. Um, I would, as a, as a female, I would join every staffing group that, that you can. I mean, the women in our industry are some of the most supportive, uh, women that I've ever encountered, you know, and I sit on a couple boards and, you know, I, I, I sat on the board for, uh, the national charity league, uh, for mothers and daughters. And I've seen it from, a, a, a couple different perspectives our industry in particular, um, has some really powerful groups. So I wish I would have known, um, earlier about joining, um, some, uh, some of the groups that are available to us, you know, whether it's through ASA or SIA or TechServe or, you know, there's, there's, there's a million out there. So joining every group that you can to engage with other like-minded individuals um, or even that have um, diverse opinions is, is, is a really great way to, cause this is not, this is not a job. I've had so many people that have worked for me in the past, you know, who, who just, who were new to the industry and who ended up leaving the industry because they said, this is not a job. It's a lifestyle. 
because, you know, I don't know about you, but as a young salesperson, I was like, big warehouse, lots of cars, you know, <laughs> big warehouse, lots of cars, make my husband pull over, who's going there? I see they're breaking ground on something. What's going on, right? I mean, we're like the nosiest people in the world. And so, you know, I, I, as a salesperson, like <laughs> if somebody was breaking ground somewhere, I was like, I would go out and ask the construction men, what are you building? I'll give you 20 bucks. <laughs> no, <laughs> what's going on here? And so, you know, I, I just think, um, sort of surrounding yourself with, with people who love this industry will make you love it more. And I wish I had known earlier on in my career about all of these groups. It it took me a little bit later on in my career to really embrace all of that. And I I just wish I would have known that. I, uh, I've I've seen, um, just the the organizations and that. So it's a really tight knit community. I mean, sadly not having the in-person shows this year is kind of it's, uh, uh, I feel like oh. I'm missing seeing a lot of my friends. Yes. <laughs> like, I'm, like, I'm not going to feel like we are. <laughs> That's actually what's happening. I'm like, a lot yeah. of people that you kind of, you get used to seeing. And so I was thinking, Hugo and SIA, it's like nine, nine years in a row. I don't think I've gone more than two or three months without seeing that guy. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's funny how it all, um, but um, the, the groups are an amazing uh, way to kind of move, move towards uh, learning in, the, in this industry. Um, what are some of the keys to, uh, you, I mean, you've had, um, success with your job and, and also with, I mean, you've grown a lot and started your own organization, your own, uh, consulting firm. What are some of the keys to kind of what drives you and your own personal success? Well, I talk about it kind of ad nauseum in my blog, on my blog, yeah. um, my gratitude practice. I, um, I, I really think that, um, you know, I talk really openly about losing my marbles a few years ago. Um, and, uh, on my, on my goat leadership blog and, um, my gratitude practice is what sort of saved, saved me from myself. And meaning, um, you know, I, I, I took a lot of things for granted. Um, I had a lot of stuff and I think I was in my career thinking that, you know, consuming all of this stuff was like what the end goal was supposed to be and um, that I'm supposed to have the big house and I'm supposed to have the nice cars and I'm supposed to have all these things that I was just really mixed up in uh, my, I have my priorities all sorts of fouled up. And uh, so, you know, a, 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 a midlife crisis or a reset, we'll call it a reset, you know, a little reset. Um, and, uh, you know, that's when I really started my gratitude practice. Um, and yesterday, I, I'm going to talk about it on my Woman Crush Wednesday today. Yesterday, I had a terrible day. It was a terrible, terrible, terrible day. Uh, I woke up with a headache. I didn't do my gratitude practice. Like everything was going sideways, this ways, all the ways. Um, and had I just taken a minute to sort of center myself and go, okay, the world is not on fire. You have a beautiful roof over your head. You know, the, the, it's not a chicken little scenario, right? Um, but when you're in the feels of it, um, it can be really overwhelming and, and, you know, your emotions can get the best of you. So one of my big differentiators and how I am sort of the eternal optimist is my gratitude practice. It grounds me. It centers me. It keeps me from 
uh, being a consumer, you know, I, 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 I really just didn't want to be a consumer anymore. And, uh, so I would say to anybody, you know, ground yourself in gratitude and you'll have more to be grateful for. And do you have any, uh, specific uh, daily routine? I mean, is it, uh, um, I, I mean, I've gone through a little bit of your blog, but do you have a, with the gratitude practice, something that's like 10 minutes a day that you set aside or what, what's the, what's the, ah, the gratitude book? It's my gratitude journal. I talk about it all the time. Um, yes, I ground myself. I have a. I do um, three things in the morning that I'm grateful for. Three things at night that I'm grateful for. Sometimes they're the same thing. Sometimes they're not. Um, you know, uh, Rachel Hollis has a really great uh, gratitude um, journal. Uh, the five minute journal was the one I started with, um, is the three and three, uh, Rachel's a little more robust, um, because she asks at the end of the day, and that's the one I'm on right now. She asks at the end of the day, what got in your way? Um, and you know what I found day after day was I kept writing me what got in my way, me. And I really had to go back. I kept writing down me. I got in my way, you know, and I really had to go back through my gratitude journal and go, why am I getting in my own way and figure out, you know, what that was. And so, yes, your my morning and night, um, you know, six weeks to make a habit, two weeks to break a habit. So you've got to be committed to, you know, trying to work your way through it, just like an exercise plan. Gratitude is a muscle and it must be exercised in order for it to be strong. And um, so I, I live by that and uh, it, it changed my world and I think it can change anybody else's. I absolutely love that. We uh, um, Are you doing any type of uh, meditation? Do you do anything that you go further beyond the gratitude component? Or uh, how much you're very intentional with how you're living? Uh, my Peloton. Who hasn't heard about my Peloton bike for the love of God? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, half the time I have a Peloton swag on. <laughs> Can we drop your referral link in the podcast? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so. okay, I, I love my bike. I've tried to balance a little bit more. Um, I have had bilateral <laughs> hip surgery. And so I was going a little wild on my bike. So I've, I've kind of calmed it down a little bit. I try and do four or five days a week. I was doing like seven days a week, two classes sometimes. And, uh, oh, wow. So, uh, yeah, I can get really intense sometimes. And uh, so, yeah, no, I try and do four and five days on my Peloton. Um, it's They've got a wonderful – I do their sleep meditation. I did it last night. Um, Peloton's got some – yeah, Peloton's got some great offerings, and and again, what I love about them, and I've I've vlogged about this as well, is the community that they create. Um, yep. I don't think that there's anybody better at creating this community momentum that's pretty powerful. I've, uh, I hear about it from uh, you, and then of course, you know, Erica Heisen that worked. Oh yeah. I actually don't know if I've met uh, two stronger brand advocates uh, for Adronic in a long time, so. Uh, I've, I've got the app downloaded, but I haven't, I haven't jumped in yet. So that's a big thing. You got um, it. <laughs> um, so, uh, continue on. So what, um, do you have any books, uh, that have, I guess the biggest impact that they've, any, uh, if you can list any books that have had the biggest impact on you or that you, uh, gifted the most to others. So how women rise. I have talked about this one, um, it is so powerful for um, women in our industry. Um, 
it's one of my favorite books. I've read it a, a couple times. Um, and then um, I just finished um, Confidence Creator. And then I've all, I just read, um, uh, I'm trying to look and see which ones have I read. Um, How Women Rise, uh, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Bleep. You know, what's, you know what's hilarious? That's, I was about to bring that book up earlier when you were talking about your gratitude journal. I actually, I was talking about the subtle art of uh, uh, not giving a uh, last night with, uh, with somebody and it's kind of like modern day stoicism. It helps you kind of like uh, step back and realize it's all going to be okay. It's all so, going to be all right. Yeah. yeah. So th- those are, those are ones that I've got now and I've, I've always got something going on. Um, Heather Monahan. Oh, and uh, Erica Keswin's got a new book coming out. Uh, Bring your human to work. Uh, oh my God! It, she first of all, she is an amazing individual. She spoke at our our women's group. Um, uh, but bring your human to work. Uh, she uses this the language of honoring relationships, and every motivation business owners have should be about honoring the relationship with your people, with your external cup uh, uh, companies that. You partner with and um she, erica keswin is is uh, she's got a new book that's coming out as well she's also got a podcast um but she's an author that you need to be following she's fantastic um so yeah uh yeah and sally helgeson um you know how women rise i mean my goodness uh, she is one to follow as well and then um anything brene brown sign me up I, I'm, I'm on board with that as well. As, uh, Brene Brown is, uh, and I'm, I'm good. I, I've not heard of uh, Bring Your Human to Work uh, or How Women Rise. I'll check those out. But that's uh, the, Brene Brown has been, I mean, I feel like every one of her leadership book is just on point. And, uh, like got, super soul Sunday defined, right? Yeah, we always, we, uh, I think I might have, I saw her at a HubSpot inbound conference live for the first time maybe five, four or five years ago. Which was incredible. I was with my entire my marketing team, and I they looked over and saw me tearing up, and I'm like, I'm just you know just really embracing that vulnerability. <laughs> so it was, it was funny, but she's she's fantastic. So, um, uh, what uh, are there any I guess top tech categories, top technology, anything that related to tech that you would like to share with the audience uh, before we kind of get to the last couple questions? Anything related to technology. So I, um, I think that companies need to remember what it's like, even if they have to go out and search for a job themselves. I think that leaders need to remember what it's like to go out there and be that vulnerable when they are buying technology and then buy the technology with that in mind. Um, and I think if you do that, you will honor the relationship with the candidate and honor the relationship with the recruiter and how they're utilizing the technology. Um, and then your customers reap the benefits of that, right? All of this is so the candidate's happy and the recruiter's happy and you have adoption, but ultimately your customer gets their orders filled faster. They have quality candidates who are happy with who they're working for. So, I, I think every business leader that is in a position to buy technology needs to remember what it is like to go out and search for a job. That actually, I'm, uh, that's a great, great advice. And I'm just wondering about how many executives and staffing you think have 
even on their own website, just applied for a job to see what it's like. I'm wondering what that experience, I, mean, I, I know that throughout the years, we've done that quite a bit just to test things out with different products, different companies. It's a very different experience. But do you think that, uh, or do you hear many times that CEOs or, or executives and staffing are actually taking the time to do that on a consistent basis? Some, you know, I try and do it with every company that I work with. I'll go in and, and uh, do their hiring process. Do an audit of it. Yeah. But, yeah. And the recruiters that call me and they're like, hey, are you looking for a job? I'm like, you know, something's working there, right? Um, yeah. And, and sometimes it's crickets. So, um, and you've got to really reevaluate um, a how you're posting jobs and how your process is if nobody's responding to the candidate. And if a CEO or COO or whoever's buying technology goes through an application process and they never get a call, you know, you need to kind of scratch your head and go, is that what my other candidates are experiencing? That's pretty wild how, how frequently that can happen. So uh, I've done it with, I think I still get Maybe just from my, my background at, at travel savings, I've had about five uh, calls to be a, a travel nurse uh, throughout the week on any given week. So <laughs> it's like applying to enough jobs in that sector that it's, uh, they, they keep coming. Um, so wrapping up here, is there anything else that you'd like to share uh, with the, the staff and show audience? Anything that you think would be valuable for, for uh, anybody listening in today or anything that, um, kind of in, that you think you would just like to get out there in the world? Oh my goodness. Well, I mean, we've had such a broad conversation and I think all of yeah. it is really good. You know, I, 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 I again, um, the more agencies that can remember that, you know, our industry is, is, is built on relationships and the more we keep that as our core value, um, the better the experience for everybody. Um, and however I can support an agency, um, in doing just that and honoring those relationships through the advancement of technology, that's, you know, call me, call me. I want to help. I, I, I'm not an attorney. I don't charge you by the, you know, I'm not going to charge you for an hour. If you want to call, chew my ear off, ask me a couple questions, so that we can continue to maintain the integrity of our industry, uh, then call me. Call me. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, Laura, it was really great having you on this today. Uh, I appreciate all of your insight into the industry and also the fact that you are moving things forward, focused on the, the human connection, the candidate experience, and bringing technology and wrapping it into the staff industry in the way that I, I believe it should be. So uh, uh, thanks so much for being on today. And... Uh, Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This has been Ball. Thanks for listening to The Staffing Show. Don't forget to sign up for our newsletter at staffinghub.com to never miss an episode. Until next time.